All right, all right. Um, you know, I, I, I get a chance to preach here often, and some people go, Oh, man, you know, Ephraim, are you going to come on staff with Woodland Hills? You know, so, so what I did is I, I did the best thing I could. Is My twin brother is going to be is on staff here. It's just I, I got a better tan than he does. So, but this is one of my best friends, Chris Brooks. And so it's been exciting to minister with him to young people in Minneapolis. And so... Uh, He's now here across the river with y'all. So um, I praise God for him being with y'all. So love on this guy and his family. Uh, Before I get started, I'd be remiss if I didn't do one more thing. And and I don't want to put my wife on the spot because she's like, you know, don't be making me come up front and stuff like that. But um, but my wife is here uh, this morning, Denisha. So Denisha, would you just put your hand up in the air? All right. You sure you don't want to preach or nothing? Okay, all right. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to start with the 13th verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with the 13th verse. I'm reading from the New International Version. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Uh, From this text, I want to share with you on the title, Radical Reconcilers. Radical Reconcilers. Pray with me. Father God, I just once again pray that this would be your message and not mine. Uh, Lord, I, I just want to be used by you so that you can preach. I present my body a living sacrifice that your will, your agenda, your gospel would come forth. To these, your children, my sisters and brothers. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Radical reconcilers. In this text in 2 Corinthians, uh, by its title, we know that this is Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. We need to know some things about Corinth in order that we could um, take that context and apply it to our current condition in the church, in the body of Christ. Corinth was a cosmopolitan large city. It was multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-cultural 
sailors and merchants, business people from all over the nation would travel to this place called Corinth. Its diversity meant a, a good thing. It meant richness. But at the same time, the diversity was also a challenge. There were many pagan uh, philosophies and religions and beliefs that were practiced in this multi-ethnic, diverse, large city known as Corinth. When Paul stayed there for a few months, he was able to be used by God to start a church in this very multicultural, large, diverse city. Um, in his first letter to Corinth, he wrote to them because he had heard of divisions in the church. Could you believe that? Divisions in the Christian church. I know that's probably hard for you to imagine, hard for you to fathom, but you know, let's just go with me for a little bit here. There was divisions in the church at Corinth. There were all kinds of different issues, you know, baggage that people were bringing to the church, their past experiences. There was divisions over whose doctrine was right. Should they follow Paul? Should they follow Apollos? What does worship really mean? And so in the first letter to Corinth, Paul was attempting to bring unity around the issue of love. That's why you can read in 1 Corinthians, you know, verses such as, you know, if you speak in tongues and you have not love, you know, you're just a clanging cymbal, you're just a resounding gong. He was trying to say, look, we need love in the church. We need unity in the church. That's why he would talk about the body of Christ being many parts, you know, and how we need to be together in unity. Well, after that first letter, some good did come to the church at Corinth, but there were still some issues there. Uh, even though there had been some time to see some great things happen, there were still some issues that needed to be dealt with around uh, the, the issue of unity, of coming together as the church that God would want us to be. And so Paul writes this second letter. And in chapter 5, he talks about reconciliation as a movement, as a model to help the church be what God would intend us to be. Again, I know this might be hard for you to imagine, but this church had issues. This church, people brought baggage to the church. This church, there was divisions, there was gossip, there was slander. I know that probably sounds so far away from the church of the United States of America, I'm sure. But in, you know, in this church, there was a need for reconciliation. Well, let me stop playing around. There's a need for reconciliation in, in the church in general in the United States of America. In the world, there is a need for a word that would cause us to be unified, to be healed, to be whole as God would want us to be. To be a sneak preview of heaven. And so, I, last time I was here, last month, I preached a sermon called Revolutionary Community. And I talked about how God wants to move the church from a crowd to a community that is Christ-centered, multi-ethnic, and transforming. Well, you can't have a revolutionary community without having a community made up of radical reconcilers. 
When you bring radical reconcilers together, those radical reconcilers make up a revolutionary community. So I want to talk about what it means to be a radical reconciler for God. What does that mean in our individual lives so that collectively we can be the church God would call us to be? So let's go through this text and break down some of the things that point us to this radical reconciler. Uh, Verse 13 says, if we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If you want to be a radical reconciler, you have to be okay about being crazy, about being out of your mind about being weird. You have to be okay with being strange. With When you walk in the door, some people are going to say, Oh no. He's coming back. Even after we talked about him and said all that stuff about him, he's still here. After we told her we didn't want to hear that mess anymore. We, were, we didn't want prayer. She's still here. See, you have to be okay if you're a radical reconciler with being crazy, with being a little spiritually deranged, with being out of the ordinary. I have a friend named Adrian. Adrian is an evangelist. He speaks all over the country, all over the world, and Adrian is crazy. Adrian is out of his mind. Adrian is weird. Um, Just a few years ago, I was in Denver, Colorado with Adrian at a restaurant. And we were getting uh, ready to eat. Uh, The server came. Her name was Linda. She came to take our order. And Adrian says, Linda, before I tell you what I want to order, I just want to ask you a question. Can I ask you a question? He says, you know, me and my friend Ephraim here, we're Christians. Uh, We're not trying to beat you over the head with religion or anything. Just wanted you to know I'm a Christian because when I think about God, I get really excited. I get really pumped up. I get, oh man, when I, and, and I'm scared that if I think about Jesus long enough, I might explode all over this table. If, if, if that happened, would you clean it up? And Linda looked at Adrian and says, you're crazy. He said, yeah, but would you clean it up if I explode? So we ordered what we were going to eat, and uh, she brought the food. We ate the food. When she came to bring the bill, Adrian says, you probably think I'm crazy, don't you? She says, absolutely. Um, and, And so he said, "But well, just bear with me for a minute. And he took a napkin, and he said, Linda, I'm going to tear this napkin up into little pieces. He said, and these pieces will represent different parts of your life. He said, this piece of the napkin uh, represents your life here at work. He says, are you married or have a boyfriend? She goes, I have a boyfriend. He says, okay, this piece of the napkin represents life with your boyfriend. He said, this piece of the napkin represents your family life. He said, this piece of the napkin represents your personal life that nobody knows about but you, your secrets, your inner issues. He said, if you, he said, let's just, you know, pretend. If you were going to give a piece of your life to God, which piece would you give God? She said, not only are you crazy, but you're an idiot. She says, if I was going to give a piece of my life to God, I would not give, I'd give all the pieces to God. I'd give my whole life to God. He said, exactly. And he took the pieces and put it in her hand with the card to pay the bill. And he said, no pressure, 
But when you come back, if you want, you can lay all the pieces on the table and, and, and your whole life could go to God. So she walked away looking irritated. And she came back with the slip for him to sign, the receipt for the bill. And she was about to turn away, but she turned back and looked at us with tears in her eyes. And she put all the pieces on the table. And we prayed for her to accept Christ right then. God wants to use you to reconcile God to people that don't know God. Jesus died and rose again that we would have intimate relationship with God. There are many people that don't know about this love, that don't know about this revolution, that don't know about this grace and mercy and transformation. And how would they know unless we do some crazy things? Unless we lose our mind for the gospel? Unless we go insane for Jesus? There are people in your world world that need to know about the love of God and unless you're willing to be crazy they'll never know somebody must be crazy enough to go on a mission trip to Trinidad somebody must be crazy enough to go to Mexico somebody needs to be crazy enough to pray for the person that you sit next to at work every day and be crazy enough to believe that God can do something there is nothing so bad, nothing so rotten, nothing so mean that would separate you from the crazy love of Jesus Christ. We need to be crazy with the gospel. A radical reconciler will be out of their mind. But being out of your mind doesn't just mean being crazy. There's something else that's a principle here that we must learn. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 says that we are spirit, soul, and body. To understand the fullness of who you are, you need to know that you are body, your outer person, your flesh. You're also soul. Soul is your mind, your emotions, and your will, and your spirit. This is how you really connect to God. Your intimacy with God comes in the spirit, which means that to bring the love of God to other people means that's an out-of-soul, out-of-body experience. It's a spirit Thing. It's an intimate thing. You can't bring reconciliation to the world if reconciliation isn't happening on the inside of who you are. Have you reconciled the fact that your spirit ought to govern your soul which controls your body? You need to get out of the bondage of your emotions, out of the chains of your intellectual philosophies, out of just the fleshly desires of the body and springboard into your spirit. Now that's crazy gospel. That's crazy peace. That's crazy praise. It's being willing to step out of the comfort zone of the boat of your own earthly personality into the supernatural amazement and awe of how God will use you to bring God's love to people. Who is in your world of influence that doesn't know the love of God? It doesn't matter that their skin is a different color than yours. It doesn't matter that you're in a different economic bracket. It doesn't matter that they're from a small town and you're from a big city or they're from a suburb and you're from a farmland. It doesn't matter. What matters is are you willing to be crazy? 
Well, let's go on. For the love of Christ compels us. Well, you need to make sure that your craziness comes from the love of God. See, some people just crazy, crazy. You know, some people like, they're crazy, okay? Your craziness is supposed to come from the love of God. Make sure you've experienced the love of God. Live in it. When you read the Bible, do the words come off the pages and kiss you with the spirit of love? When you read the Bible, do the messages jump out of the book and embrace your very soul? When you sing worship songs, have you ever sang a worship song and said, that song was written for me? That song was directed at me. The writer must have known something about the fact that I was going to come into the earth and struggle with the struggles that I have and deal with the things that I deal with because that song is my song. And every time I sing it, every time I lift my hands, it's like God is grabbing the under end of my arm and the love of the kingdom of heaven seeps into my very bones. Have you been in love with God? Has God ever sang love songs to your soul? Have you ever read a love letter from the holy of holies? If you're crazy, it ought to be because you're crazy in love. It says, Because we are convinced that one died, and therefore all died. If you're going to be a radical reconciler, you have to be crazy. Your craziness must be rooted in the love of Christ. And you must be convinced that Jesus did die. Yes, I'm convinced. I I don't know all the facts. I, I haven't memorized the Bible from cover to cover. But there's something on the inside of me that knows that I know that I know that Jesus died and rose again. The crucifixion of Jesus can't be a theory. It can't be a maybe. It can't be a might have. It can't be I hope it happened. It has to be I'm convinced. You can't tell me nothing different. I'm rooted in this. I'm too far gone to go back now. I'm living this thing. I'm loving this thing. He died for me, for me and my kids, for my marriage. He died for me. I know there's other philosophies out there, but for me and my house, we will praise the Lord. I know there's other opinions out there. There's other religions, but I made up my mind. I'm happy about this thing because Jesus died for me. I'm convinced. Don't try changing my mind. It's been renewed. I'm convinced. If you want to be a radical reconciler, you have to be crazy. Your craziness must be rooted in the love of God. And you must be convinced that Jesus died and rose. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. If you want to be a radical reconciler for God, you can no longer live for yourself. You have to live for a broader, larger, higher purpose. Now, to do this means that you're going to be countercultural. You are going to go against the culture that we live in. See, the culture we live in says it's about you. It's about you getting richer. It's about you going higher. It's about you. And sometimes we read magazines and we look at TV and it's so much pressure because the pressure is what are you going to do about yourself? You've got to do something about your body. You've got to do something about your hair. You need a bigger house. 
You need a bigger car. You need to get a promotion. Want to make more money? You need to invest. You need to make sure you're covered. You need to make sure you got your investments in order. And not all of those things are bad. But what happens is the pressures on you do this. You do this. So many men are burning out and falling and suicidal because they've taken the brunt of the world on their shoulders and they think it's all about them. Many women are just, you know, they're driving themselves to an early grave because they think it's all about them. What you going to do, girl? What you going to do? It's all about you. It's your world. What you going to do? No, it's about God. And it's about what God wants to do through you is a higher calling than anything you could do on your own. A radical reconciler no longer lives for themselves, but they live for the higher calling of what God can do through them to affect the lives of other people. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. If you're going to be a radical reconciler, you have to look at people differently especially those that look different from you, that come from different backgrounds. We need a renewed vision of other people, these people that we're going to bring the love of Christ to. I told this story before being here, but I want to tell it again to make this point of seeing people from a worldly point of view. I was at my family reunion a few years ago, and when a woman told of my family tree, my heritage, I found out that my great-great-grandfather on my mother's side was full-blooded Irish. He married a woman that was half African-American, half Cherokee Indian. Um, They had a son, my great-grandfather, who was so fair-skinned he could pass for European because of the Irish blood in him. My grandfather was very fair-skinned. My mom's father, and he had long, straight hair that he wore on his shoulders. And, and when I left the family reunion, I said, Oh, my gosh, I'm Irish. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I know you didn't know that when I came up here, but I'm Irish. I mean, I drink green Kool-Aid on St. Patrick's Day. I'm Irish. You know, that's where my last name is Smith. I'm Irish. Uh, uh, but I'm not just Irish. I'm Cherokee Indian. That's, so, so that's who I am. Uh, and I'm not just that. I'm African American. That means I can't look at European brothers and sisters and say those people. Because they may be my people. I can't look at Native Americans and say, oh, those poor people. Because they're my people. I can't look at African Americans. Well, of course. I mean, you can look at me until I'm brown. i got a chocolate complexion. I'm like a Milky Way bar up in here. You can tell that. But the point is, I'm more than what you see on the outside. There's something in me that's deeper, that's richer, that's fuller. My experiences, my heritage, my roots, I am more than you think that I am. And you are more than you think you are. You are richer, you are deeper, you are beautiful, you are unique. Do not buy the lie. We can no longer live by secular labels that were not intended for us by God. You are not a white person. What does that mean? I'm a white guy. Well, what does that mean? What, is there destiny in that? 
Is there, is there identity in that? Is there purpose in that? There's no book called the Holy White Man book that gives you a blueprint for who you are and what you should become. I'm a white woman. What does that mean? I'm a black man. What does that really mean? Why not loose yourself of secular titles and get to the authentic heritage of who you are naturally, but most importantly, in this book, you're more than a conqueror. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation brought out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Call me a black man if you want to. I know who I am. I'm an Irish, Cherokee, African-American, born-again Christian, son of God. I'm a king. When I put my foot on, God can give it to me because I'm more than who you think I am. I'm a royal priest. I'm a part of a holy nation. Do you know who I am? We can no longer look at ourselves from a worldly point of view. We must see ourselves through the lenses of the kingdom of God. In this room, we're a multitude of languages and nations and tribes. Do you understand the force and the power that we could be in the Twin Cities if we would clasp our hands together under the anointing of the Lamb who sits on the throne? There is nothing that we couldn't change. There's nothing that we couldn't transform. There is nothing that can't be done. All things are possible when the multitudes of Christian sons and daughters unify under the anointing of Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Have you come to the realization that you're new? Stop letting the enemy make you think you're what you used to be. You're not the woman you were in the 80s. You're a new woman. You're a queen. You're a daughter of God. You're not the same man you were in 1991. For some of us, you need to hear this. Stop letting people make you think you're the same person you were last year. No, you don't dress like you did last year. You don't talk like you talked last year. You put on new clothes. You put on a new glory. There is something new. You're a new creature. Stop letting people talk to you like they did when you were a kid. You ain't a kid no more. You're a grown man now. You ain't no little girl anymore. You a grown woman with a destiny, with a purpose, with a new identity. If you're going to be a radical reconciler, you have to tell people, talk to the hand. I'm new. I'm not the same. Don't be arrogant, but just be convinced that you're new. Many of us don't fulfill God's call on our life because we are listening to the wrong voices of people that are telling us we're what we used to be. It, you're not, hey, if people won't forgive you, God has forgiven you. Move on. You're not the same person. You're new. A radical reconciler realizes that they're a new creature. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You can't take reconciliation public if reconciliation hasn't become private first. You can't reconcile with people of another culture if you haven't allowed Jesus to reconcile the issues within your own soul. You can't heal the nation if you can't heal your own heart. Reconciliation must be an intimate, private, personal issue before you can go public with it. Verse 19 
that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You know what? When I look at this, verse 18, verse 19, and verse 20, they're all saying the same thing just three times. Now, something must be important if Paul would say the same thing three different times. Paul's trying to say, look, I want to make sure you understand this. If you didn't understand what I was trying to say before, let me really help you understand this thing. Let me help you get it. This is what reconciliation is really about. It's reconciled to God, and then it's God giving you the power of reconciliation to take it to the people in your circle of influence. Do you understand that? Uh, I'm going to say it in verse, uh, you know, 18. All this is from God who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I want to be reconciled to you. Now I'm giving you the power of reconciliation. Bring others to this banquet table. Okay, maybe you didn't hear me. Okay, verse 19. God was reconciled in the world, not counting our sins against us. Don't worry about your past. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, Paul is saying, well, if you really didn't get it, I'm going to reverse it. And this time I'm going to say, we are Christ's ambassadors. We have the ministry of reconciliation, but we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is the key to the healing of not only the body of Christ, but the healing of the nations. But before you can take reconciliation to the world, maybe you need to take it to your living room first. I've been preaching about reconciliation as long as I can remember. But it hit home for me two weeks ago. Since I preach here a lot, I feel like I can be transparent with y'all. In 1999, I left a church in Ohio. And it was a painful, hurt experience. I left angry. I left this church mad. And because the church was predominantly white, I was able to play all the race cards and all the cultural cards and and, and play the blame game and, and, and talk about what went on in that church. And I left there convinced that I was all right. Keep on preaching. Keep on teaching. Keep on leading ministry. I'm okay. And it dawned on me not too long ago that I wasn't okay, that I was chained that I was enslaved to something that I couldn't put my finger on, that there was something about past broken relationships that was, not, that, that was keeping me from not being able to preach reconciliation with the power and the passion that I would want to. So two weeks ago, God said to me, and I got to be careful because, you know, people say, you know, people abuse the term God told me. I mean, when somebody says God told me, what are you supposed to say? God told me. Well, all right then. You know what I mean? What can you say? But, but I really felt that God said to me, it's time to reconcile with the church in Ohio. I said, no. <laughs> me and God kind of talk freely to each other. Mm-mm. He said, yes, it's time to reconcile with Ginghamsburg. So I, I fought it for a little while and finally decided, okay. So I went to my office. I went to the website of the church. I started emailing to the senior pastor and to another staff person that I'd had some issues with. And every time I tried to send the email through, it wouldn't go through. I tried to send it from somebody else's computer. It still wouldn't go through. I felt like God said, no, you need to confess this with your mouth. (laughs) 
I was hoping God couldn't read body language. <laughs> but he can. So I called to the church. Neither the pastor or the other staff person that I was trying to get in touch with was there. So I left voicemail messages and I basically said, you know, I can't continue to preach reconciliation and not live it. So I want to apologize for the anger that I left the church in. It did not model the love, the grace, the transformation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I appreciate that I was given the opportunity to serve at this church. I know that I'm a better Christian. I'm a better preacher. I'm a better minister because you allowed me to serve there. Uh, Please forgive me. I apologize. You don't have to call me back. You're not obligated to that. I just want to see healing take place in our relationship. And I want to live reconciliation and not just preach it. And when I hung up the phone, I felt something. I felt like something, I felt like some chains came off my wrist. I felt like this weight that I'd been carrying around my back for three years had, it was coming off my back. It was like I was carrying something heavy and it fell off my back. But God said, you're not through. I said, say what? He said, no, no, no. Your direct supervisor doesn't work at the church anymore. You need to call her where she's at. I realized that she works at a church in Chicago. So I called that church and I left a message on the phone. And I said the same thing, except I I was more personal with her because she was my direct supervisor. And so I I confessed specifically things that I had said to her and things that I had done that wasn't right. And and when I got off the phone, it's like I felt a little free. I I started to out. I started to dance. I, I felt like my emancipation proclamation had just passed through the very room that I was in. I felt like freedom was in the air. I felt like liberation was in my bones. I felt like there, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And the Spirit of the Lord was on my desk and in my chair and on the very fabric of the carpet that was in my office. I felt like from wall to wall, from floor to ceiling, from my spirit, soul, and body, I was invaded with the freedom of God. Two hours later, my supervisor called me back. She didn't have to do that. She said, thank you for having the maturity to do what I should have done a long time ago. And we prayed on the phone and we cried on the phone and we rejoiced and we shouted. There's something about reconciliation that does something that no one else can do. So let me ask you, What chains are around your wrist? What chains are around your ankles? What broken relationships do you need to address? What are the things that were said to you as a child and you're still carrying the hurt around today as an adult? What's keeping you enslaved from feeling healed and whole? Where do you need to be reconciled? Jesus is very clear. He challenges us. How can we come to the altar and not be reconciled with our brother? Not be reconciled with our sister? You know, the person that hurt you may never, ever say sorry. That's true. But I tell you this. When Jesus was on the cross and he stretched his arms and died... That was the biggest I'm sorry for every sin that was ever committed, past, 
present and future. For every person that should say, I'm sorry, but never will, a drop of blood was spilt from the hands and the head and the feet of Jesus. If the person that wronged you never says sorry, you need to know that Jesus hung on the cross saying to you on their behalf, I'm sorry. For the pain that was inflicted on you, I'm sorry. For the person that hit you, I'm sorry. For the person in your family that you don't understand, I'm sorry. For what you're going through, I'm sorry. For the things you've been carrying around since you've been a little girl, I'm sorry. For the things you're carrying, brother, that make you feel less than a man, I'm sorry. I was crucified to say sorry to you. I'm saying sorry for your mother. I'm saying sorry for your brother. I'm saying sorry. Would you let me love you? Would you let me embrace you? Because I'm sorry. There's no greater love than the love of Jesus. There's no greater love. There's no greater forgiveness. There's no greater freedom than what Jesus has for you. How can you leave this place chained up? How can you leave this sanctuary and not feel the healing of Jesus Christ? The only healing for the bride of Christ is that of love and reconciliation. And I can only shed tears to represent the blood that Jesus shed so that we could be healed and we could be whole. Let's pray. Dear Lord, there may be some brothers and sisters here today that need reconciliation in their soul, that need healing from the hurts of their past, They need their souls to be mended. We can't take reconciliation to the world if we don't let reconciliation live within us first. Give us the courage to say, I'm sorry. Give us the courage to forgive. Give us the ability to address relationships that we know have been torn apart. Help us to hear from you this week about how we can be reconciled in you so that we can bring reconciliation to the world. You didn't count our sins against us, but you loved us anyway. Help us to learn how to love. God, I'm so tired of all the divisions in the church. I want your bride to be beautiful. I want your bride to be sweet. I want your bride to be everything that would cause you to break the sky and come back to reclaim her. Heal your bride. Deal with the divisions that plague the soul of your bride. I know that you love us the way we are, but because you do, we want to be the best bride we possibly can be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If there is someone here today, that you know today you need to give your life to Christ. There are staff people here at Woodland Hills standing in the back. Staff and volunteers that will be up front, they would love to pray with you to accept the Lord. If you know that you need prayer for healing so that you can truly receive reconciliation, 
there are staff and volunteers that will be up front. They would love to pray with you. They would love to help you feel the total healing that God has for you. It is always a treat to be able to come and preach to you. And I thank you for that opportunity again. God's peace be with you. Thank you.